three or four crew members held a bamboo pole and that was the railing. I loved it. It was the impromptu railing to get up to the you know, to get up the bank of the river. It was really cool. There you go. For all the uh, Disney Cruise Line fans uh, listening, you can have a real pirate night experience by walking the literal plank up to your boat. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast. And this week, we're bringing you another one of our episodes where we're bringing someone on to talk about cruising more generally. So not Disney-focused cruising, but cruising more generally. And I am excited to welcome Heidi to our show. Heidi was featured in Paul Thornton's Cruising Interrupted, or will be featured in Cruising Interrupted when it comes out. She's also co-authored Fromer's Cruising and Ports of Call Guide for a decade or more, and several editions of Fromer's European Cruise and Cruise Vacations for Dummies. Uh, has been a contributor to newspapers, magazines, and online publications, including CNBC.com and Condé Nast Traveler, CNN.com, and many, many more. She's a globetrotter who's been aboard more than 110 ships and small vessels, and she reports that her small vessel sailing is some of her favorite. And so, as the co-founder of QuirkyCruise.com. Let me welcome Heidi to our show. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. We're going to talk about some small ship cruising today, which is something that uh, Sam and I are really interested in. We've heard from a few people about small ship cruising, so we're really interested in it. I want to let our listeners know that you just stuck with me today, so I'm sorry about that, but uh, we had a conflict in Sam's schedule for recording, so it's just me and Heidi. Sam will be back on the next episode, but you're stuck with me today. Heidi, let's, before we dive into the topics, what I'd love to do is just give listeners a sense of your cruising background. I kind of gave them a quick and dirty on your CV, but talk to us about, you know, your cruising background, how many cruises you've been on and types of ships and all that sort of stuff. Well, as you mentioned, I've been on more than a hundred, I think 110, 111 at this point for over the last 25 years or so. And I've traveled quite a bit even before I started cruising, but I, I guess I, in a way I'm an accidental cruiser. So the passion wasn't sort of there first. I just landed a job in New York for a small travel magazine that focused on the cruise industry. So I had never taken one until I got this job as, as an editor, as a junior editor. So that's sort of how my cruising thing started. And I was thrilled when, when the editor of this small magazine said, so, you know, have you ever been on a cruise and do you want to go on one, you know, to the med? And I'm like, <laughs> so suddenly I was, you know, flying to Malaga, Spain on the Cunard Princess, which is no longer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was my first cruise experience. And then I just have, that's just been my expertise as a writer all these years. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, to start off in the cruise in the Med, that's that's uh, quite the start there because that is uh, the Mediterranean cruises are supposed to be fabulous. But, so You've done then ocean cruising, river cruising, and small ship cruising. Yeah, I really have. So in the beginning with this magazine job, and then I free I started freelancing. I was in New York and doing the Fromer's books that you mentioned for a decade plus. So in the beginning, I did mostly the big ones and and really all the all the major lines. I mean, including Disney. I mean, I've always loved Disney. It's a quality operation. I went on there first before I had kids, and then when I had kids, obviously that was great with, with the kids. So yeah, the, the big ones 
Royal Caribbean, Carnival, Celebrity, Prince, like all the big ones. I guess the first smaller ones were in Alaska. I did Cruise West, which that line doesn't exist anymore. But I think Cruise West and Windjammer, there was also a company that is no longer Windjammer Barefoot Cruises. Those were two small ship lines that got me hooked on the small ships back in the 90s. But I continued to do big and small. And, you know, I still appreciate both. Like they're all, they're very different, obviously, 3,000, 5,000 people versus 50 or 100. But I mean, they're these pluses to, to both types of travel. And where have you sailed? Have you, have you literally had a global footprint with your sailings or, or yeah. are there particular regions? Yeah. So in the beginning, uh, again, when I was in New York, it was mostly the Med and the Caribbean and Alaska. So lots to see there, of course. And that was wonderful. Um, then I'd been based in Singapore for 14 years. I still go to the US a couple times a year. But because I'm in Singapore, obviously, I've been able to do some stuff over here, which is awesome. So Southeast Asia, India, rivers, for instance, also rivers in Southeast Asia, the Irrawaddy and the Mekong, and also some big ship cruises between Hong Kong and Singapore. Big ship cruises around Australia. One of my favorites that just popped into my head was on the Staten Dom, the Holland America Staten Dom. That was excellent. You know, really nice size, like 13, 1400 passengers in you know, so so I have been a lot of places. I still have some bucket list spots. Like I have not been to Antarctica at, at all. I have not really done the Arctic. I've done Norwegian fjords. So, you know, it, luckily there's still a lot on the list, but I have been quite a few places already. Have, have you done what you would describe as, I, I know there's a category of cruising called expedition cruising, which when you talk about the Arctic, I think about expedition cruising. Have you done expedition cruising? I would say, as you said, the Arctic and Antarctica would definitely be ex- uh, expedition, and I have not been to those two places. But I've been to the Galapagos, which mm-hmm. I've you know put in the bucket of expedition cruising. You know, where where it's a small ship but very active. You know, kayaking or snorkeling or different things like that. I have not been on any of these brand new expedition ships that have come out in the last two three years, actually. So I would mm-hmm. like to, but I, I do like to be active, and I think that's why sometimes the small ships suit me better. You know, there I remember in the wind. Jammer and even Star Clippers and in Windstar, you know, you can literally swim off the side of, of the boat, the ship when you're anchored, you know, in a certain place. Like, you know, I, I really, I enjoy that. You mentioned, Heidi, that your passion for cruising didn't immediately manifest, that it was your passion about travel and then your job kind of got you into cruising. What's kept you interested in cruising? What is it about cruising that, that excites right. you? Well, just that first Cunard Princess trip from, from Malaga to, I think it was to uh, Civita Vecchia to Rome. You know, just being on the ocean, the sound of the water, you know, that shushing as the ship moves through the waves, you know, especially in the older ships, then the, the whole back aft deck would be open and you have your sail away party on the tiered, you know, decks. And it was just so beautiful. And, and so I've always loved the water, I guess, in general, swimming and such. And the wind, the sound of the wind, you know, it's romantic, pulling away from a port, especially in Europe, where the view is quite something, you know, to see a lot of the old parts of the towns that are along the coast. So, yeah, I love that. And so there was the romance. There was the, the fact that you can see different places, of course, over the course of a week or two. Yeah. And, and there's something nostalgic about it. Even though I hadn't done it before, I felt this nostalgia that was really appealing, you know, about the old days and the liners. And then I started sort of getting into that. Not, not heavily, but reading some books about the old liners. And I, I like history. So, you know, that, that made it better, too. Just imagining what it was like back in the day. If you weren't in steerage and if you were, in, you know, the upper classes, it would have been yeah, really something. Let's shift gears for a second because you managed to turn that passion 
I think, into Quirky Cruise, your website and blog, who I, which I know you co-author or co-founded, I believe. So sites focused on small ship cruising, but what caused you to say, you know, I want to write about this more? I mean, you have the writing background, so that's probably the extension of it. But, but what, what pushed you to start the website? I think so. I, I do it with a travel writer friend of mine, Ted Skull, who's been everywhere. And we were friends from New York. And we both... Again, he, he's an expert in the big ships, for instance. He does lecturing on, on the Kennard uh, transatlantic crossings. So, you know, so we, it's not that we didn't like the big ships, but we, we did both gravitate toward the small, quirky stuff. And we would talk about this. And at one point, we started the site around five years ago. So five, six years ago, I just said, Ted, I just really wanted to, I wanted to have a place for some of my really amazing small ship experiences to live. You know, I mean, stuff obviously lives online to some extent, but some publications, you know, actually purge their articles every couple of years. And I don't know, I just wanted a place for some of the stuff to live, like like the the, Asia, the South uh, East Asian rivers I've done. There's a go to canal cruise I could talk about later. That was so awesome in Sweden, for instance. And I don't know, I, I didn't want to start my own little website just with my name. And I, I, I wanted a place where Ted's articles could, could live, mine could live, and freelancers. Like we, we use a lot of really wonderful freelancers who contribute. And, and I didn't really see, I have to say, a site that focused on this, the small stuff. I mean, there's some sites that focus on rivers and, you know, here and there, but th- there actually really wasn't one. And so I don't know. I, if I thought about it too much, I wouldn't have done it because now, of course, you know, these things turn out to be a lot of work, but more than, <laughs> than I thought about. But it, I'm glad we just did it. We just like made a basic site. And so, uh, yeah, we really enjoy it. And, and Ted has so many, especially great memories. I, we just published something about the Chesapeake Bay, where he's very familiar with, even as a child. And, you know, just so much information about that area of small ship cruising, American Cruise Line goes there. Blount used to, they're, they're defunct. But, you know, so I, we love this small, interesting, specific, like Chesapeake Bay, like what a specialty, you know, and Ted just knows all about it. So. Well, and I love the name of the site, Quirky Cruise, because it it kind of well it captures. I mean, when I visited the site for the first time, and I was looking at your line reviews and your articles, what what stuck out to me is it's it's expansive. And so I think for our listeners out there, sometimes when we talk about small ship cruising, we're talking about cruise ships that hold, you know. Some people will think, oh, that's a cruise ship that holds 1,500 passengers or less or something like that. That's not, that, I mean, you do have some of that on your side. You do have it, but you're going down to ships that hold far less than that. So do you want to do you want to talk to folks about how you define small ship cruising or how you think about it? We wanted to pick a number. So it's a bit arbitrary. And Ted, especially like the number 300, because that really, I don't know, that sort of separates, like you said, it, it really means small because, you know, the crystal ships, for instance, are ships that I love, you know, 900 passengers or 1,000 or 1,100, whatever they are, you know, that they're still considered small compared to the huge ones. But we, you know, we just wanted to be even smaller than, than crystal and regent and seaborne and stuff. So, yeah, so 300 passengers, we just sort of picked that number and like, like you said, some are quite small, like 10 and 20, 30 passenger yachts or river boats in some places in Asia, for instance. Yeah. So we go up to 300. We have a few exceptions, 3, 320. But yeah, we, we figured otherwise it's also, you know, it's just too hard to put your arms around if it would go up to a thousand. And, and we, we like those luxury ships between 300 and a thousand, but I guess that's not our focus though. Can you talk to us about kind of the range of cruise lines that you're site is, you know, detailing. We don't have to go exhaustively through them all, obviously, but, you know, what's the kind of the range there? Because when I look, there was, again, there was like, I want to say the list dropped down on 
line reviews had it had to have at least 50 if not more lines on there what what does the range look like there and what's the differences you know at a high level so currently we have over 90 lines that we cover and and we keep adding them as we can so 90 plus and we've divided them into five buckets so expedition as you mentioned before the expedition ships that tend to go to the poles and the galapagos um sailing like star clippers and the and Maine wind jambers, for instance, in, in, uh, on the East Coast, Caribbean stuff, so sailing. And then river, obviously, there's all the great Europe stuff. And then there's mm-hmm. the, uh, rivers, those two, and U.S., of course, coastal, coastal Alaska, coastal East Coast of the U.S. You know, coastal and ocean going, there's some overlap because the coastal boat often can also cruise in the ocean. But then ocean going too, you know, there are some small ones. I mean, the original Silver Sea ships, for instance, were were under 300 passengers. Uh, the Sea Dream yachts, which we love. Who doesn't love those, that pair? Conan, um, <laughs> you know, so, so those are the five buckets. Yeah, so ocean, coastal, river, sailing, and expedition. And within those, I would assume there's a pretty big degree of variation between the yeah, different lines. Because sure rivers, as you can imagine, can, can really vary. There's Uniworld, for instance, that we did a couple of years ago on the Rhine. You know, lovely high-end luxury, sort of like a mini cruise ship put onto a riverboat model. And I mean, that's a great line, Uniworld. And then some of the Asian lines and Indian ones that I've done are much more rustic, but in a good way, you know. So there's really great variation. And then there's, of course, there's the barge cruising, which is a cool thing you know another niche within the river we lump that together with river obviously but i mean especially now with the pandemic situation and the future of travel i think for some people the small vessels you can charter for your for friends and family like like some of the barge barges in europe you know are that much more appealing to to some of us um you know six passengers eight ten twelve you know, something you mentioned in there that's really interesting to me is when you talk about these different lines in different places, there, there's there's a cultural aspect to this, I suspect, and how people approach cruising or think about cruising in different places. And so you mentioned some, you know, some spots where things are a little bit more rustic, I think was the word that you... Have you learned anything over time about how folks approach cruising in these different areas? Um, you know, I think about the mentality of cruising for Americans in the Caribbean with the big buffets and lots of food and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Have you, have you seen differences culturally to cruising in different places? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I would say, for instance, in Southeast Asia, on some of the rivers, you, we, you do see Americans, but you'd see more often you'd see British, Germans, and Australians, for instance, who tend tend to, I think, like the rustic stuff. I think North Americans, you know, are used to the cruise industry. They have a lot of options. They're the biggest cruisers in the world, I, I would say. On the big ships, so it seems that some of some other cultures and countries aren't as familiar or into the big ships as much. I mean, I'm, I know there's big markets in Europe, but again, grocery generalizing. But I might say that some that Europeans and some Asians and Australians might be more adventurous. So they were, they like the idea of going on the Irrawaddy in Myanmar, even though you know it's not going to be perfect, like like a cruise in the Caribbean might be. You know, seem perfect with the blue water and this. Like cruising in Asia, like it's it's crazy. It's it's fascinating, but then, you know, there's litter and poverty and all kinds, you know, there's all kinds of things all mixed together. So that you definitely need a more adventurous mentality, I think, for instance, to do a river cruise in India. I mean, that's what I've noticed generally. I mean, I, I know some Americans are adventurous too, but Maybe let's dive into some specific differences for a second. So I think our audience will be most familiar, obviously, with the Disney product and the Disney cruise line and 
staterooms and amenities on board these larger ocean-going vessels. So when you start to talk about small ships, let's start with staterooms. What should someone expect as a step foot on board a smaller ship in terms of the stateroom they're going to find? I mean, there is variety. Like I was mentioning in Europe on some of the river cruises, the high-end ones like like Uniworld and AMA Waterways, for instance, the cabins are quite, generally they would be smaller, which I think is sort of common knowledge. So they would be smaller generally, although that is changing a little bit. But yes, they would be smaller than a Disney. Disney, you know, cabins have always been very generous sized, even within the big ship world. So so yeah, they'd be a little smaller, usually. A lot of them do have balconies or sliding French doors or, or like, you, you don't, you very rarely is there an inside cabin on a riverboat. It just doesn't, you know, that's not part of it. So on the plus side, you always have a really good view. And because you're in a river, you're close to the scenery along along the side, as opposed to a big ship, you know, when you can see the ocean and sometimes the port, but obviously big expanse. But back to amenities, the high-end river lines would have nice bath products and robes and things like that. So, and you'd have internet and you might have a, a mini fridge. So I would say the biggest difference is the size, that they're smaller, but a high-end riverboat would have a lot of similar amenities to what you'd find in, in a suite, say on a Disney ship. But if you, yeah, if you're not on one of the higher end ones, like if you're on, there's this, a Pandal is a line that I, t- I, I love in Asia. It's more rustic, you know, just wouldn't have the mini fridge and the robes and, and all that kind of thing. But, but very, still very nice, just more of a boutique and a quirky, rustic wood paneling, maybe local fabrics like in Asia, batiks and Indian fabrics and such. So yeah, not quite as cookie cutter. I know that's an maybe overused word, but you know, on a big on a big ship that has two thousand cabins, they are they really are created in the shipyard, and you know, it's like a bit of an assembly line look to to, to a big ship where you might not see that on, on the smaller ones as much. Heidi, what about amenities? And I don't mean amenities in the cabin, but as as I think about amenities on a large cruise ship, you know, Disney, you're talking about stage shows and entertainment. You're talking about pools and water slides and, you know, and other cruise lines, the casinos and stuff like that. You know, setting aside dining for a second, my impression is river cruises, small ship cruises are really, the amenities are far, far less. And in part, it's because it's about the destination and not about the ship itself. But what's your impression? Yeah, exactly. So, that's exactly true. I mean, um, there, there won't be sea days, for instance, on most on most small ship cruises. I mean, there would be here and there, but for the most part, the focus is on the destination more so generally than, than a big ship. Some of the higher end rivers and ocean ships do have more than one dining area. They might have two or three. Obviously, they wouldn't have more than three. The Uniworld cruise I did, the Ponant L'Australe was a great cruise we did in Croatia, you know, and they had the indoor dining, the outdoor dining, and sometimes a third something on deck. So, so yeah, but of course it's less than a big ship and entertainment would be less. They might have like a wedge of casino, some, some of them, literally like a corner of, you know, one spot next to the bar. You know, there'd be two or three bars. There might be a small, like the Windstar ships, even the sailing ships have a small pool, just like a dipping pools. Some of the river lines actually have a small pool, but you know, it's it's almost like a large hot tub. But I would say they, they, they are trying harder with, with amenities to, to attract the big ship people. Um, you know, most of them have a, a small gym and at least a couple of salon or spa services. Again, not, not the pandals of the world, but the more luxurious river and ocean lines. So they've definitely Definitely tried to offer more big ship amenities on the small on these small ends. What about shore excursions or port adventures? Again, my sense is 
the smaller the ship, the fewer the offerings, but maybe the quality of those offerings goes up because it is a smaller group of people? Yeah, I would say in general, the groups would be smaller. I guess I've taken a few river trips in Europe where you could still have 30 people on the walking tour, you know, which would be like a big ship. But yeah, in general, definitely smaller groups. Like for instance, I, I haven't mentioned the Scotland ships yet. So in the Western Isles of Scotland, there are a raft of about, most of them carry about 12 passengers. And so just for instance, I mean, that's really in a sort of a niche thing, but it's g- gorgeous. You know, the, the Western Scottish Isles are just stunning if place to cruise. But for instance, they don't have organized shore excursions. So, you know, they sort of let you off and they say, they point to the craggy rock where most people want to climb, or they say over there is this cool beach. And so you're on your own. So there are some small ship experiences that are more like that. I mean, they, they definitely would explain what you should do, but they're so small that they, they don't, you know, have a whole excursion department. And then on the Pandal River boats, for instance, there's always one or two guides that local guides that are on the boat with you that sleep there. And, and so they're with you everywhere, like the same two people. Scenic, I did a scenic Mekong. Scenic is a high-end river cruise line. Two years ago, I did scenic. And we had four really good local guides. And those excursions were really elaborate and quite amazing. So in some cases, the groups were small and just really high quality and scenic. So this was a Mekong where we're at Siem Reap, you know, where there's some gorgeous um, old temples, some of the most amazing temples in the world and, and Angkor Wat and some other spots along the Mekong. So, I mean, super high quality, like you said, smaller groups and personalized, you know, they could set tables up for dinner in front of some of these ruins, mm. which you wouldn't, you know, I mean, they probably shouldn't be allowed to do that. But but the point is it was so, it was it really was special. These excursions were really, really special and scenic arranged everything. So Well, and I think, you know, something that we've kind of glossed over here, but it is hitting on me from your answer is one of the hallmarks of these smaller ship cruises, right? Is you're getting into places that the big ships just can't. Right. Yeah. Is I mean, so I'm assuming for the most part, you know, you talk about pulling in and there's the craggy rock you want to climb. Right. Like you're probably going to be the only boat in port that day. But but what's your impression? Yeah. For instance, two years ago, I, I love Star Clippers. It's another line I love. And I've been on Star Clippers, I don't know, four or five times. And this time was in off the coast of Thailand on the West Coast around an island called Phuket and some and some other rocky, craggy islets. And for instance, the Starflyer would just anchor mostly because there were no places to dock, which was fine. Like the infrastructure wasn't there because you're going to such remote places. And like you said, you didn't see any other cruise ships. You sometimes saw local small local tourist day boats buzzing around. But so the, the, the Starfly would anchor. I can think of one gorgeous beach day. It anchored. We hopped into the tenders. You know, the Starfly has two tenders. And then we had a wet landing. So they threw the ladder out of the tender just maybe 10 feet from uh, the dry sand and you had to go down the ladder and you know you were like you're wet up to your knees it wasn't a big deal but like that that's a type of thing that is fairly common and you know in order to get to a, re- a remote place which is it's part of the fun and same in, in India I've done two river cruises in India I was on the the Brahmaputra River in, in the eastern part of India and there really are only two passenger river boats and we I think we saw the other one like for 10 minutes <laughs> like you know like there are only, only two I mean there's fish 
fishing boats and stuff. But so yeah, that's really cool. Same in the Mekong and uh, other places. I mean, there are more. Vietnam is a you know fast growing place in the economy, and, but you don't see that many passenger boats. You see maybe commercial shipping, which is interesting for some people to see. Obviously, in, in Europe on the rivers, there are more. You see river boats, so right. Yeah, see that. Right. Yeah, anywhere you go. Yeah, they 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 stack up at port on the rivers. Yeah, sure. <laughs> in Europe. Yeah. What in, in sticking with this topic for a second around shore excursion kind of things, it seems like small ship sailing is a much more active experience than ocean cruising on these big ocean liners. You talked about getting out of the tender and walking up the beach. I mean, sure, when you get to the beach, you can relax, but it also sounds like people do these because they are a little bit more active. Is that is that right? Yeah, I'd say 90% of the time. Again, the exception would be some of the Europe rivers. The Europe rivers, you could be an older person, for instance, who is not steady in their feet and just never leave, right? And sit on the top deck of of a boat on the Rhine and still see the castles and stuff, you know? So I'd say Europe would be the exception, but otherwise, in most of the other parts of the world, definitely active is is a plus. Just again, because a lot of times there aren't formal docks and berths you know, in places. So then you know, it's a little bit more precarious to walk on a gangway sometimes, which is actually like a piece of wood. Yeah. In Asia, I mean, it's fun. And, and you actually yeah. you see people in their seventies too. So it's on the mentality, it's the mentality of the person, not necessarily the age, but, but having to walk up mud or it, there's not a dock, but a boat will nudge into the mud and then the sailors on board will throw their lines around a tree. So, so you're actually tied to a tree or a rock and then the crew lines up and they sort of hold your hand or they hold a bamboo pole. In India, three or four crew members held a bamboo pole and that was the railing. I loved it. It was the impromptu railing to get up to the you know, to get up the bank of the river. <laughs> it was really cool. There you go. For all the uh, Disney Cruise Line fans uh, listening, you can have a real pirate night experience by walking the literal plank up to your boat. Uh, <laughs> what about, so two other areas I'm interested in. Let's start with, start with service, right? So I think folks listening to our show are used to Disney level service. What should folks expect from a service level in terms of small ship cruising? I mean, recognizing, as you've, as you've said several times, there's luxury yeah. end of this, this wing down exactly. to the more rustic. But, you know, what's your experience been with service overall in the small ship market? I mean, overall, it would be more personal, right? Because there's just fewer people. So I love that. So more personal where you definitely are remembered. They know your face because there's only 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 of you. You know, you know the servers. They know you. You you see everybody more than once. You, you know, I, sometimes on a big ship, like I, I love big ships for many reasons. But, you know, sometimes you really actually don't see somebody again that you liked or that you chatted to. Like you just never see them again. But so so that doesn't happen. And so, yeah, the, the intimacy with the service, I find that it's it's flexible just because there are fewer people. So if you have, I don't know, a request or an issue or something with food, you know, it's not hard for service to be personalized. You know, it's pretty easy and expected. So so I think that's a plus. And, and that's generally speaking, even on the more rustic boats. And then, like we said, the luxury ones, the service would be just as good as Disney or better, you know. So Uniworld and Scenic and Poman and some of the expedition lines, you know, that quite pricey to going to Antarctica and such. You know, they're the service would be very, you know, fine dining and and sophisticated service for sure. You know, like the the, some of the French lines I've been, uh, I've done some French river cruising and plus on on Ponan, I keep mentioning there, like, you know, like French chefs and and some of the crew, the the waiters. So it's it's very high end in terms of presentation of wines and the food and all. So I think a Disney passenger could easily go to some of these lines. 
What's interesting about the intimacy aspect that you're mentioning is it seems like a lot of larger cruise lines try to accomplish that ship within a ship experience, the onboard suites, that sort of thing. I will say, as you were talking, I was thinking through, it's interesting because it seems like Disney's been able to replicate it a little bit because the dining staff follows you. Like, as I think about our experience on board, some of the sailings that we've done, we see the same people over and over again. So it's it's just interesting. I I agree with you. We've been on some other lines where that's not the case. Right. It's just standing out in my mind as you were talking that some how Disney's managed to replicate that, which is interesting. You, you you mentioned briefly sort of food and dining. What's the overall quality of the food been like on these? I mean, at some level, I would expect it to be as good, if potentially not even better, because they're not having to cook like catering style meals in a main right. dining room. But, but what's the experience been like for you? And in some of the sailings you've been on, have you found the food to be sort of even more like authentic, right? Like a big cruise liner's catering to the Midwestern palate in the Caribbean, right? And I'm curious if you've had some more authentic experiences on board some of these smaller ships. I mean, definitely in Asia, for sure. There's a lot of local food. I mean, there's always options for people that don't want to have Indian food or Burmese food. But for the most part, the people that are on these trips do want to have the local cuisine. So yeah, it's great. Like the chefs are local. You can see the chefs Indian and in Asia, you know, there's a Vietnamese chef and what have you. So yeah, the food is definitely a highlight. For instance, in Asia, I think if you're someone who wants to try the local food. And, And like you said, it's not the same thing as a huge cruise line where they're shipping containers uh, you know, there, there would be more buying at local markets. I mean, old ships like old lines like to say that, but they would actually be doing it a lot more than the, the, the big ship lines. Obviously, in the Caribbean, there's not, you know, they have to ship things in. So, yeah, I mean, in the cuisine, again, it, the luxury ones would ha- would be more luxury foods and caviar and all that stuff, like like it, like anywhere. But, yeah, I'd definitely say more authentic and local food, yes. Overall, definitely. No question on a small ship. You know, I should also ask, what's the crew to passenger ratio like on these ships? If 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 you had any thoughts there, like I, I, my impression is, smaller ships crew are performing multiple functions, <laughs> especially yeah. the smaller you get. But it, I'm assuming it's good crew interaction, and you feel well taken care of on board. Yeah. So I mean, from the Sea Dream, for instance, which is more high end, and, you know, so they have almost one crew member to every passenger, for instance. And I mean, I've always loved Sea Dream. The others. Some of the Asian lines or some of the Alaskan small ship lines, it wouldn't be one for one with those. But, you know, even if you have 30 crew for 50 passengers, you know, I mean, it's still, it, I, I've never, I, I really can't think of a small ship experience when I was just like, oh my God, I never had my water. And, you know, where's the bartender? Like, it's just because, like you said, the crew often does wear many hats. So, you know, I'm not trying to say you don't wait for a moment, but it's just, everything is just smaller scale. So, yeah, but it's funny sometimes the crew wearing different hats, like sometimes in the beginning, they'll announce, I think it was Star Clippers, where like the shopkeeper, the woman who ran the small boutique was also the nurse. And then she and then she would also help, you know, I don't know, serve, serve drinks on the sailway or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's every part of the thing. Yeah, it's funny. Since we're talking about quirky cruises, Heidi, I'm curious, what has been the quirkiest cruise that you've been on? I mean, one that I just love was a canal cruise across Sweden. So we were in Gothenburg, a a big city on the West Coast, and we cruised across Sweden, ending in Stockholm, the capital on on the East Coast. And it was, we traveled through the Gota Canal system, which is an old canal system from the 1800s that also, you know, linked up to some lakes and a few pieces of river. But that the boat we traveled on was from 1874. And of course, it didn't. (laughs) 
renovated, but it's, 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 it was quite pricey actually, but it was a gorgeous heritage boat. This company called Go to Canal Steamship Company has three vessels. The oldest is the one we were on, the Juno 1874. And that was just, that was just so cool. I loved it. And the weather was beautiful and you're, you're going mostly through locks and canals. And, you know, so you really, the sheep or the cow is literally, I mean, you can't quite touch it, but I mean, you could like throw you could throw like your fork and, you know, it's like close enough. And then the going through locks is really cool, I have to say. And their system was that the, the cabins were like train compartments, but like like the classic ones from a movie. I mean, so we were with our kids. My one son I was with, we had small bunks, just like a, like a, like a train compartment. And we, you know, we had two rooms, but lovely, lovely, but small bunks. And mm-hmm. there were shared bathrooms. So not everybody's into that, but it, it was, it was still high end. The food was really good, but there was one set meal. You know, you didn't choose from five entrees like you would on, on a Disney ship or what have you. You could say yeah. a vegetarian or whatever, and they would work around that. And then the bar was an open, was was a uh, honor system. There was a big sort of copper, not bucket, you know, cauldron. Yeah. Like it was nice looking, but th- there was ice in there and then a little fridge. And if you wanted your little bottle of rosé or whatever, you just put a tick under your cabinet. And, you know, I, I loved it, but it was still quite sophisticated in a way. But I, I, it was that was really cool. I loved that. That would be cool yeah, the, the, to see the locks and stuff. Yeah. So, and then I guess quirky, definitely India. I, I keep coming back to India. I was, I did a Kerala backwaters cruise in October. That was my last cruise before the COVID thing happened. That was really quirky. So the backwaters of Kerala, it, the state of Kerala is in, in the Southern part of India. And so there's sort of, you know, l- low lying coastline and waterways that sort of meld in with the coast and with some lakes and lots of bird life and some canals down there. And, yeah, just really quirky. Um, this boat, these boats are sort of former rice barges. So, I mean, this one, it was built to look like one, 18 passengers, wooden, you know, very flat, low draft. So you, you could, we could get in the nooks and crannies. Anyway, that, that was just fascinating. And, and in, India is just a fascinating place to be. And then if you're 10 feet from the side of the waterway at any given time, anyway, that was really cool. That would be a neat way to experience India. That's India is on my list of places to visit. Okay. So I asked you about your quirkiest cruise. You've also used the term rustic several times and, and you can yeah. use the same cruise again if you want, but I'm curious, what has been your most rustic experience? And if you can describe that for folks. I mean, right. So some of these Pandal cruises, again, rustic in a good way. Those are the ones in Asia. Their, their boats are built to look like Irrawaddy steamboats from the 19th century. So when the British Empire was in that part of the world, they used these, these boats were made in Scotland and they were brought over to Southeast Asia in parts or pieces, but they were Scottish made and it was a certain look and they carried, you know, they did the trading for, for the British Empire. And so the, there's a certain look to this boat and, and the company Pandal has used Use the design for all of their boats. They have like almost 20 boats. So anyway, it's, it's a cool design that looks 19th century. And then rustic, um, let me see, also Alaska and the Caribbean. I've done some rustic in the Caribbean uh, sailing ships. I, again, Windjammer Barefoot Cruises back in the 90s was was quite an experience. I mean, those were definitely rustic, very small wooden cabins. You know, the shower, the shower nozzle was above the toilet, you know, so 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, down. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's like a yacht, like a, a small yacht. So the whole room would get wet. I, I mean, the whole bathroom compartment was tiny and the whole thing would get wet when you turn the shower on. But it, it was okay. Those were so adventurous and so fun. But those are very rustic and sort of basic. You served yourself your drinks and stuff. You know, it was very, very <laughs> But yeah, it, was, it was good fun. And Alaska Cruise West was rustic. Um, and again, they're, they're not around anymore. But there's some similar ships up there now with uh, like Alaskan Dream Cruises. I, I like rustic. I, I, you know, I don't want bad service. I don't, you know, it has to be clean. To me, rustic is just, you know, there's the wood, there's simplicity, there's some ambiance, there's some historical references, like with these Pandal boats that I keep yapping about, and the Scottish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and some of the Scottish boats in the Western Isles are also historic. Some of them are old fishing trawlers that were remade into little passenger boats. So I, I have to say, you know, I like something with a historical reference. Well, and sometimes, I mean, as you're talking, what you're reminding me of are trips that I took with my father up to Alaska for fishing, right? And we would stay in what I would describe as sort of a, it was a very, it was a nice fishing lodge kind of experience, but it was, it was rustic. And sometimes I think rustic can bleed into authenticity a little bit like... If you're in a place like Alaska, yeah, obviously the big cruise lines go up the the straits there to the uh, the icebergs and all that, the ice flows yeah. and that sort of thing, and it's great. But when you're landing in Skagway with a ship, that's you know Skagway's Skagway's like going to a Caribbean port. Yeah. If you want to experience real Alaska, sometimes you got to get a little rustic. Well, I was just going to point out with kids too, like I know you said you have kids. My kids are older now, but you know, that obviously depends. I, I mean, I mean, if you're traveling with a family, you, you might want to not uh, do the small ones until a certain age. You know, so Alaska on a big ship with, with 10 year olds is awesome. If I don't have my kids, then I really love the, the small ships. So. I guess that gets us to a good question here, Heidi, around what, so let's say that I'm going to make the leap that I, I want to go from being an ocean cruiser, not, not necessarily a Disney cruiser, just an ocean cruiser down to these small ship cruises. Like what is your biggest tip when you think about making that transition from ocean cruising to small ship cruising? I don't want to state the obvious, you know, they're smaller. So, uh, you know, they're, they're just less options. I guess the, the type, the type of excitement, everybody defines excitement, I think differently, but you know, if excitement is, is the buzz of, of a lot of people and the, and more sort of no ambient noise from a casino or from, I don't know, the cruise director running some event or whatever. So, you know, you're not going to have that. So it's going to be quieter. It's, it's literally going to be less ambient sounds around you on board. I would say almost always, which is, is, good or bad depending yeah and just the tip is to to expect that and also to of course expect smaller uh, again to state the obvious um, less choices and i guess the tip is you can find a mini big ship experience in the small ship world if you choose the right thing just like we were saying that your river boats and, and some of the expedition boats are quite similar in a lot of ways. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I might not have an overly useful tip because I think it's just sort of obvious that if you, you move to the small, there's going to be less, less thing, you know, just less of everything. So well, that, but that, I mean, that's a good set of expectations, at least, right? Like just, just there's the expect the obvious, right? And I think you've covered a lot of the differences throughout, uh, throughout your answers. So so maybe two, two tips would be my husband, for instance, really loves going to the gym. And uh, so most, a few river boats do, but most, most don't. So don't, don't expect workout equipment. I mean, if, if the ship has it, a few do, a few under 300 passengers have, but, you know, obviously come prepared. If you're a fitness freak, come prepared with your, your rubber bands or your, you know, something, you know, your app that yeah. you jump around to, because that is an issue for some people. Like they really want to go to a gym or have a jogging track or whatever. 
whatever. And so, you know, you just have to plan for jogging in port or whatever, you know, fit people go on these things, but do you have, they have to improvise. Yeah. And then the other tip I think is with family and kids. Again, that might be obvious, but I think usually eight to 10 and above works unless you charter. Maybe if you're, if a family group is chartering a boat just for their family group, then, you know, I guess any age could work. But yeah, again, I think for safety reasons, maybe eight, eight and above. And, you know, there are no playrooms. Very rarely are there any types of programming at all. A, a few, a few happen in the summer. Lindblad, you know, for instance, I know in the summer has had uh, stuff for kids. And even the Uniworld, when we did our Rhine cruise in the summer, there, there actually was some programming, but, you know, obviously nothing at all to any level that they'd experience on Disney or Royal Caribbean or anything. Well, and it's it's very active. So my sense, I mean, even like as we think about going on this River Markets cruise, I guarantee there's going to be a ton of walking. There always is when you're visiting a new city and especially in Europe where the cities are very walkable. So thinking about the stamina of your little one, we might start taking our son out for walks this summer for a longer distance. (laughs) It is strength built up. The tip on on exercise is a good one. I will give just a personal tip that I have unrelated to cruising, which is when I go to a new city, I'm a, you know, I'm a runner. And so I have found a small niche industry that is cropping up, uh, or at least in Europe, it's cropping up that's doing running tours. And so, especially in major cities. So I've done running tours in London. I did a running tour in Dublin. But, you know, so one, I, I kind of go out to TripAdvisor and I do a quick search to see if there's a running tour available. And it is a great way to see the city with a local guide because they will kind of run you from place to place. So you're getting your exercise and give you a little background and history. And then you can go back and visit those places kind of on your own. And they mm-hmm. will generally calibrate it down to, you know, your speed and distance right. and you know all that sort of stuff. So it's just a great way to see a city in a small group or one-on-one kind of setting. And then I also just, I love to see cities running in the morning. I will, you know, right. I was in Prague, they didn't have a running tour, find one. And so I just mapped out a route and went. And I think that that's kind of, from my my yeah. point of view, that's even, that's even more fun than running on a treadmill about bobbing up and down in the ocean or a running track. So yeah. It's a great idea. Along those lines, I, I love to cycle. I mean, I jog too, maybe not as much as what you seem to do, but but cycling, bicycling. And so riverboats and canal boats often have a few bicycles or you can sign up as, as I'm sure you have. Like, I think that's a great way to see Europe, especially. I mean, I don't know if I wouldn't cycle in, in Asia as much, but but yeah. And, and a couple of quirky cruise uh, writers that I use as freelancers, you might be familiar with. John Roberts is a really fit guy and he does a lot of freelance for us. So he, he always, I love that he adds that to, to the articles that he does for us and for other publications, how he jogs and how he gets in his weightlifting and how he improvises. And, you know, it's really important him. And, and another guy, Peter um, Canigo is, he also is a runner and he always has like a couple of miles before dinner or whatever. And he just, it's great. He puts that in the stories. So yeah, there's a lot of people <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and talking about expectations about making the jump from ocean cruising to small ship cruising, what should people expect in terms of like price? I mean, it runs the range or is it generally always going to be like a little bit more expensive comparatively if you're talking about economy ocean line versus the economy small ship experience? Right. I mean, it does run the gamut, but I would say generally it would probably be a little bit more expensive on average. Yes. There are some reasonably reasonably priced, for instance, yacht bookings you can do in Croatia and the Greek Isles. There's say five or six Croatia lines. You know, so those tend to be, you could do five nights or three nights or maybe 500 bucks or something. So that would probably be one of the bigger bargains. Some of the 
casual yachts in Croatia and Greece. And the Pandal boats can sometimes be fairly reasonably priced. But in general, I would say more. I'd say for a week on most small, and this, you know, big generalization, but on most small ships, small boats, a week for one person would generally be at least on the low end, say $2,000. I mean, there are exceptions, but you know, you're not going to get, you don't see the four ninety nine or, or whatever bargains that some cruise lines promote, you know, that, that, that would be rare, but, but it's not all super high end either. Like some people assume it's all like, like the bar, like a canal barge in France, like those are pricey, right? I mean, that, that is right. $5,000 a person or something. So it's definitely not all that either. Like Star Clippers has some good pricing sometimes, depending when you go, you know, so maybe $1,500, but, but yeah, overall I'd say it's a little bit more expensive. Yes. And also to get to some of the places where small ships um, are doing their itineraries, depending where you live, but often that could be more pricey. I think that's actually the other point to make, that they tend to not necessarily leave from mass sort of marketplaces where there are a lot of flights. Uh, so you're not mm-hmm. you know, cruising from Miami if you're in the Caribbean. And you know, Asia, of course, is, would be pricey to get to Asia and even in Europe. You know, so I, it tends to, you, you might spend more money to fly to, to where the small ship starts. So small ship cruise starts. As we wrap this section up, Heidi, I guess one question I would have for you is what's the biggest pro of small ship cruising in your mind? And is there or are there any cons or a big con to small ship cruising? I mean, the the pro, there are many pros to me, but I do like that there are fewer people. I mean, I love people. I'm a social person, but I just love that with 30 people or 40 or 50, you know, you never have to wait to get on and off. You don't have to pick a number. I have to say, I just really don't enjoy having to take a number to get off at the end of the cruise. Like I actually can't get off, you know, on a big ship, you have to be in the lounge until they call your number or whatever. There's none of that. There's no wait to your numbers called, which I have to say, I, I really, I really appreciate that. To me, that's a big part of the holidays is not yeah not having that so i, I like intimacy too and you know I, I like meeting people i love meeting people and i know you can meet people in a big ship but on a small ship you really you know with 40 people you actually really you wind up sitting with everybody by the end of the cruise like multiple times at mealtime you know so you, you really can make friends which I, I i really i really like that so so those would be my biggest pros those two things yeah, and yeah. any drawbacks that you see? I guess there are times, even despite what I just said, there are times when I do sort of enjoy in a big ship. I enjoy people watching, and and so I think on a on, on a small ship, there isn't often a place like you would have in the atrium of a big ship where you can just really watch life like go past you. Or it, anyway, I sort of miss that. I know that contradicts sort of contradicts myself. I'm not sure it's contradictory. Uh, it, it's yeah. it, there's just different there's different aspects and enjoyment to to each. I think you said you like ocean cruising and you like river cruising we love the people watching aspect too we always uh, like we like to play a game in the atrium when we're on a disney ship if we have late dinner you know we'll watch the show we'll have a drink and then go to dinner and while we're having the drink we like to play the who would play that person on board in a movie (laughs) kind of game totally so so i guess i I do like that so maybe in a way that's something that you just don't have that now i guess maybe a pro is the con too so i'd like being with the same 40 or 50 people and usually it's that's a grand thing and you meet make friends I guess sometimes if you're not gelling with a lot of the passengers or they say they're they're older than you or it hasn't happened too much, but it has happened a few times, especially when I was younger, where some of the older people were sort of standoffish. And then it's sort of like, well, I was just with my friend the whole time and there was like no mingling. It, that sort of bugged me. And I think on a bigger ship, we, we could have gone to a different place. But here we had the same restaurant and the same what have you. And you know what I mean? Like you are stuck with a smaller group of people if it's not working out. Yeah. 
that's all you got. All right. Really, the last question here, Heidi, is that I wanted to, you've alluded to this throughout some of your answers that you I think you've described it as, you know, probably there will be some more emphasis in this market going forward. I think yeah. that was true even without COVID because it seemed like, you know, even the big cruise lines were looking at smaller experiences. Disney's been pushing more and more into the river cruising right. market right. itself. But COVID probably accelerates things a bit in that space. What are you seeing or expecting in the market in the, you know, the short to midterm? Is it is it is it explosive? Is it you seeing lots more interest? What what are your thoughts around where this market heads going forward? I mean, I think it's definitely going to help the small market, the, the small ship side of the market. You know, there still needs to be certain benchmarks, I think, for most for most people who want to travel. So whether that's the vac- vaccines or such. But, but when things open up more in terms of flying and people feeling safe, yeah, I think people that can afford it, being able to charter something with your friends and family, f- family groups or, you know, couples, five, 10 couples. I think that, yeah, that definitely seems to be more appealing than ever. Yeah. I mean, I know people, expats in Singapore, some Australian friends, the summer before COVID, you know, 18 or 20 of them all went in on on a luxury Croatia yacht for a week. You know, I mean, and that that Croatia market is growing from what I can see, for instance. And there's, you know, there's more of a backpacky crowd and then there's the luxury ones. So there's Mm -hmm. sort of all levels. Uh, Definitely the canals, the French canals and most most of the canal boating is in France, but they're also in other parts of Europe. Yeah, I mean, there's even, I mean, really quirky. I, I had one article that I loved from this woman who did a narrowboat canal trip in the UK. So a narrowboat, you know, they're literally really narrow and you rent them and you crew them yourself. And it's two two to four, maybe six, but usually two or four people. And you operate the lock, like one of you hops out and like cranks the lock open and the other person runs out. Like, you know, things like that, you would feel safer, right? If you're paranoid, if this pandemic sort of lingers for a couple of years, you know, you and your two best friends on a boat like that, like there's more and more of those experiences, self-drive stuff, you know, and again, that's in the very sort of niche quirky side of things. But, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's definitely going to be more popular. Anything particularly exciting going on in this market or that you're excited for coming online in terms of, you know, new ships, new lines, uh, new destinations and anything like that? Um, I mean, there's all these sort of fancy ex- expedition ships that are in the pipeline. I mean, some of them have been, you know, obviously put on hold because of, of COVID. But, you know, that's a very high-end market. But as I'm sure you're familiar, there's a lot of lines that are building new ones. I mean, Crystal and, and um, Atlas and there's so many lines. Um, so that, those are exciting. I mean, I sometimes wonder, I hope that there's not too many expedition ships in Antarctica and Arctic, because I'm sort of a tree hugger too. So sometimes I'm a little conflicted about how, how much do you want to push into some of these pristine places. But anyway, so yeah, there's and there's new uh, expedition ships coming on into the Galapagos, for instance. I mean, that's an amazing place. I haven't been there in years, but you know, I still have the um, like that's such an amazing place to cruise, right? So to imagine doing it on, on sort of the newest and most spectacular, you know, the expedition ships that have helipads and submersibles, and I mean, that's a, that's a really high end experience. But, you know, it's a cool option if you can afford it, <laughs> if you have to. <laughs> well, Heidi, it's been great talking about small ship cruising. I think it's that time in our show where we head into rapid fire and the time that our guests will probably miss Sam the most because she loves the rapid fire round. Um, so rapid fire, Heidi, if you haven't experienced it before, is just our quick way of asking you some just 
rapid fire questions about your personal favorites here. The only rule to rapid fire is there are no rules. So if you've got two favorites, guess what? You can answer two. So <laughs> I'm just going to ask you some questions about small ship cruising and cruising in general. I know you've been on Disney, but we wanted to focus the show on your small ship experience. So let's dive in with the first question, which is what is your favorite small ship cruise line? Okay, well, I cannot choose one. So I will say Star Clippers, Pandal, which you've heard me mention many times. Yeah, I would say those, those, those two lines are my favorite small ship lines. Okay, Heidi, so what is your favorite river cruising line? Well, I can narrow that down to, to maybe two or three. So Pandal, which I mentioned before, but I also love Scenic and Uniworld in Europe. And they also do Asia too. Favorite ocean line, Heidi? I guess I would say Crystal. I have it's it's been a few years, but I love Crystal and the QM2. I did a crossing when my boys were young, and that yeah, Kennard and Crystal. Maybe I'll I'll stick with those two. I do love Disney. I'm sorry, it's true. Oh, that's fine. Well, we should ask which Disney ships have you been on. So I was on the first two, the Magic and the Wonder, quite a while ago. So the last time. Actually, I've done three. I did the Med Cruise in about 2007. That was my last Disney cruise. And th- that was amazing. So we did the Med on, I, I guess it was the Magic. And then I did two uh, Bahamas or Caribbeans before that. But yeah, I mean, I, I've always liked Disney. I mean, really is a, a well, you know, just a well-oiled machine. And That it is. That it is. You mentioned earlier getting numbers to get off the ship. They give you characters. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Heidi, do you have a favorite ship? Well, I guess the favorite ships that I've done, so Juno would be the historic old uh, canal boat in Sweden. That definitely would be in the top five, the Juno. And Lala Stral was a, was a great, I have to say, a great ship, like a mini a mini cruise ship. I'd say, yeah, those two. There, there's uh, the, the Royal Clipper. I have to say, I love the Royal Clipper. <laughs> I, can't, I can't pick one of anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Well, if you've been on 110 cruises, it's got to be right. hard. <laughs> what about, is there, was there a favorite itinerary that you've done that really stood out for you? Yeah, you know, one does, and it, and it was on a big ship. But the Norwegian fjords, I have to say, was just such a stunning itinerary. And uh, yeah, I've done that once. I'd like to do it on a small ship, actually, but I did it on a Costa big ship some years ago. And yeah, that was just, everything was stunning. Just and Norway is such a pleasure to travel in because there's only four or five million people that live there, you know? So it's, a, it, but the infrastructure, it's one of those rare places where the infrastructure is amazing because it's a wealthy country. The roads are good and everything works well, but yet there's not a lot of people. So, you know, there's no waiting. There's not too many crowds. And those fjords are just unbelievable. And we did a hike one day, like a six mile hike. Even my kids did it. They were seven. It was just like unbelievable. Over every hill was this like sweeping view of a fjord and the snow, snow-capped snow mountains. Like it was just um, I've heard the same thing from Disney cruisers that the Norway cruises are just yeah, stunning yeah. and amazing yeah, and a must do. So yeah. What about a favorite port, Heidi? Yeah, that's that's almost impossible. But um, <laughs> what comes to mind off the top of my head, Giranger is a port on the Norwegian fjords. So that's one of the spots that is particularly stunning. This fjord sort of cuts in even more than most into the coastline. And you take an excursion sort of to the top of some cliffs and you can see your boat below. It looks like a little dot. It, and it's just the color of the water because of the minerals. It's just, yeah. So, so Giranger, I've always loved Monaco. So if you're anchored somewhere off the coast of southern France, whether it's Villefranche or Marseille or Monaco, I mean, I, I have to say, I, in fact, a Disney cruise, we were off the coast of Monaco and Villefranche and we could easily get around because everything is right there. We rented a car. Yeah, it was great, I have to say. Have you had a favorite onboard dining experience, Heidi? 
Well, back to Crystal. I, their dining is really good. And, you know, the Japanese restaurant, the last Crystal Cruise we did was in the Med around Spain, actually. Boy, that was really good. So I guess it started in Barcelona and ended in Lisbon. So you can imagine that was a great itinerary. But yeah, the, the Japanese restaurant was really excellent. I mean, that was definitely one of my favorites. But And then in the small ship world, Panda in Myanmar and Vietnam and Cambodia, like the, the local food is just so tasty. It's simple, but it's just so tasty. Fresh vegetables and seafood and it's presented nicely sort of simple but just so tasty i mean i love asian food so i've always enjoyed pandal's food and and, you know it's authentic it's local yeah all right well you mentioned the arctic and the antarctic but do you have a bucket list cruise heidi I mean, it would be those two places. I think Arctic even would be my first choice that I haven't done. Svalbard and, you know, some of those off islands. Uh, you see the polar bears, Greenland. Ice- I haven't been to Iceland either, actually. I know it's sort of hard to believe. I, don't, I just meant because it's not that far away in, in a yeah. way. I haven't. But we covered it. Like a Sarah, Sarah Greaves, Jet Set Sarah is her, her hashtag. You probably know her. So she did Iceland for us, for instance. She did Windstar and wrote about it for Quirky Cruise. So yeah, I definitely would like to do Iceland, Greenland, Arctic. I, Russia. I haven't done Russia. I'd like to, yeah, I have not been to St. Petersburg. So, so my bucket list has some, some gems on there. And then, yeah, Antarctica I have not done at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Russia is definitely on my list. I don't know that it's on Sam's list. She can let me know after she listens to this episode. Well, Heidi, it has been great having you on this evening and talking about small ship cruising. Where can folks find and connect with you and Quirky Cruise? Yeah, well, I hope that your fans would subscribe to our newsletter. I just I send one or two out a month with updates, and we often have special offers. I try to get some of the lines to offer my readers special, you know, pricing just for them. So yeah, so quirkycruise.com, and then the subscription thing pops up, and then we're also on Instagram, of course, and Facebook with Quirky Cruise. So yeah, the website is fabulous. I I love checking it out, and I was reading through articles, and um, Sam and I are really interested in taking some more small ship cruises as our son gets older. And so we said to our listeners on the show, we love to make sure that we're trying out different products that are out there because we don't want to just keep going back to Disney and, and not checking out what else is out right. there. So um, right. so I think, yeah, this is a really interesting area. Well, Heidi, thank you for coming on this evening. It's been really fabulous talking with you. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed our episode with Heidi. Her site, quirkycruise.com, is an amazing resource for information about small ship cruising. Lots of reviews, lots of trips, lots of articles, just a really great place to go and learn about a lot of lines and opportunities that I wasn't even aware of out in the market. And I do think as we kind of discussed briefly on the show that this is a market with some real interesting potential and even the near term for two reasons. One, you know, in a post-COVID world, I think people may be looking to do vacations where they can control the number of people that they're around a little bit more closely. And so that's a great opportunity to do through small ship cruising. But also, as we've seen with like recent announcements from Canada that they're barring larger cruise ships from their waters, you know, ships with over 100 people, small ship cruising is still operating up there. So if you wanted to do an Alaska cruise right now, you could with a smaller ship cruise or a small ship vendor. Same with river cruises that are operating in the United States through different American-based river cruising companies. So small ship cruising affords some 
some great opportunities to get back to cruising faster if that's really what you're interested in doing and potentially in a more controlled environment. So really just want to thank Heidi for coming on. Definitely check out her website. It's a great resource. With that, we do have a new five-star review over at Apple Podcasts that I wanted to read. This one is coming from Iowa Disney fan who writes, great content. Brian and Sam managed to put out great episodes each week, even with the cruise lines not currently sailing. It has been so interesting to hear from different cruise enthusiasts and experts. I also really enjoy their shows with other Disney podcasters and the support they all give to each other. This helps me get my fill of DCL while we wait for the ships to come back. Well, thank you, Iowa Disney fan. As always, we really, really appreciate the feedback and uh, the positive feedback especially helps us motivate to keep putting out these shows at a period of time when the cruise ships aren't sailing. So we too cannot wait to get back out there ourselves. So with that, I do want to thank everyone for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Please also be sure to leave us those five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts. They're really helpful in surfacing our podcast to people who might be looking for a Disney Cruise Line related podcast like ours. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content or join the community we're building over on Facebook at the DCL Duo Vlog and Podcast Facebook group. Just click join and we will get you in there so you can join the great conversation going on in that group. The DCL Duo Podcast and Vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney Family of Theme Parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. Good night.